G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. Yeah, I learnt how to make food stretch because we had, you know, single income and four kids in our family. I was the eldest of four and learning how to make food taste good when you didn't have a lot of options. So I became a chef apprentice at the age of 21, which was quite late in life for most apprentice chefs. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Michelle Matush works for a Christian organisation called Eagles Corner in Victoria that supports deaf and hearing people in recovery from addiction and with mental health struggles. Today we're going to hear how she came to be part of this ministry and surprisingly, we'll hear how Michelle's journey all started because she has a love for cooking and being a chef. How does this all fit together? We'll find out as Michelle shares how God led her one step at a time. She's having a chat with Eric Scatterbo. Michelle Matush, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing well. And where are you joining us from today? Um, Currently, I'm in Bendigo in Victoria at the moment. All right. And you're a part of that special ministry there. Tell us a little bit more about that ministry. Yeah, well, Eagle's Corner originally started out as a realisation that there weren't enough opportunities for people who wanted to turn their life around. Mm -hmm. And so we started with a homeless outreach in Melbourne and eventually set up a a small program in northeast Victoria Mm -hmm. um, through circumstances that we'll probably talk about a bit later on, uh, including our first resident being deaf. Um, that's led us to a bit of a new direction and we've recently also relocated to Bendigo to partner with another amazing Christian organisation called Impact Recovery mm-hmm. um, and they help provide the environment for us to support our deaf participants and as well as other hearing men and women as well. So it's wonderful what you're doing, this ministry, but I'm intrigued. How did this all start out because you have a love for cooking? That's what I want to know, uh, but we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Where did it all begin? Where were you born and raised? Um, so I was born and raised in um, a faithful Christian home on mm-hmm. the south coast of New South Wales. Um, my dad's side of the family was German, so I learned very early on about multiculturalism. Is that Matush? Is that German heritage? Your yeah, surname? there's family rumours that it may have been Matushka at one point in time when the borders were part of Poland and during the war years when the borders kept changing when Germany was overtaking different things, apparently they may have dropped the cut off to make it sound Mm -hmm. more German. Yeah, so Matushka, yeah, German heritage there. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, growing up, um, I was heavily involved in our local church, but unfortunately as a teenager I was quite rebellious. Um, And slowly but surely, I started to drift away from God. So 
I remember one day I'd, I'd moved away from home and I, I remember waking up, I was probably about 19, I was just flooded with so much guilt and shame and thinking, oh, well, I've done it now, I've stuffed up so much, you know, God won't be able to forgive me, there's no turning back, so I may as well just keep on going down this path that I'm on because, yeah, there's there's no way back. And I always try and tell young people now, don't let that lie of the enemy yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. in because, you know, I could have saved myself so much heartache, but mm-hmm. I have learned a lot that hopefully I can share with others as well. Like you never start off thinking you're going to go in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. but little by little, those five degrees off the right path and suddenly you wake up one day and you're headed in the total opposite direction from where you thought yeah. You were going, so yeah. Okay, we're going to find out how you get back on the right path eventually. Yes. But first, I want to find out about your love for cooking. Where did that start? Um, yeah, that was probably influenced in my family growing up in um, a German cultural home as well. Food was a big part of that. Um, mm-hmm. And when you'd go to visit uh, my Omi, um You'd walk in and she'd be like, sit, eat. And you'd be like, oh, we just had lunch. Thank you. It's like, sit, eat. <laughs> so, okay. so um, yeah, I learnt um, how to make food stretch because we had, you know, single income and four kids in our family. I was the eldest of four and learning how to make food taste good when you didn't have a lot of options and and then having the German um, influence as well. And, yeah, Dad was always a really good cook and he sort of passed that on to me. So, yeah, I became a chef apprentice at the age of 21, which was quite late in life for most apprentice chefs. Um, But I'd been a nurse for a couple of years and done a few other things, and I figured this way people would only die on me if I decided to give them food poisoning. So, yeah. (laughs) A little transition there. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so from the age of 21, I started uh, my training in uh, Brisbane in Queensland, Mm -hmm. and uh, that led me to places like I think I worked at the Sheraton in Townsville, in North Queensland for my fourth year apprenticeship and um, headed back down the coast to Wollongong area to do some more work down that way before feeling desperately like I needed to travel overseas. So I headed off there when I was about 27. Yeah, where'd you go? Yeah, um, I'd met an amazing Canadian woman when I was working in Brisbane and she'd invited me to stop in and visit her on my way to England because at the time they only had um, holiday working visas for people up to a certain age group and I was already a bit older than that. So um, I stopped in Canada originally for three weeks and it turned into two and a half years the first time. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) And then I loved North America so much. I went back um, on numerous occasions both in the States and Canada and worked at summer camp and travelled around and had lots of friends who married Americans and so would often go back there to visit or go for weddings and stuff. So you really went into cooking in a big way and you eventually opened your own business called Relish Life? Yeah, so that was a little bit further on down the track when I'd been chefing for some years and I'd also been teaching at um, TAFE for a while there. That was quite a unique experience, including, you know, having all the 
uh, youth at risk kids who'd been kicked out of the local high schools in my class, chasing each other around with knives, trying to oh, kill wow. each other and set the kitchen on fire. So <laughs> um, as a professional chef where normally all my staff did what I told them as a head chef, um, I wasn't used to these young teenagers like having their own ideas about what it might look like. But we soon formed a great bond and I learned that I had to think differently and um, create a more inclusive environment with the youth in order to uh, get their engagement. So I, I learned a lot in that phase, teaching at TAFE. But I, I wanted to, I really found I loved teaching and I loved sharing my knowledge and skills around food. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I opened my own business to try and teach um, like healthy cooking and help families prepare meals that were, that the kids would eat, but they could make interesting for the adults as well. So, um, yeah, had kids cooking classes in the school holidays and um, team building exercises for businesses and all that sort of stuff. It was great opportunity, mm -hmm. but that's when I got the job offer from the Jamie Oliver Ministry of Food Manager's position. So, Yeah, did you get to meet Jamie Oliver? Oh, I missed out by about two weeks, as it turned out, but, um, oh, yeah, happened? it was, uh, well, unfortunately, um, my father got quite ill with cancer at that time, mm. and so I felt it was more of a priority to go and spend the time with him. So, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the influence your father had on your life. Yeah, well, um, it was interesting because as I said, I'd sort of life had taken its own path and I'd been sort of living my own life and mm -hmm. not really, God didn't really have much of a part in it at all. I'd sort of explored all different religions and I was just really on a spiritual journey looking mm -hmm for something and I'd been working overseas and my sister was getting married back in Australia and so I came home for that and I just my, my family had been praying for me for a long time I was sort of the black sheep of the family and the only unsaved one at the time and um, so when I came home for my sister's wedding I just felt this really strong compulsion to go to church the the night before the wedding and that and um, so I just went on my own and there just happened to be a man who was preaching who'd come out of a life heavily involved in like gangs and rock and roll and drugs and all this sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. he just kept saying there's there's nothing in this world that you can ever have done that's so bad that God doesn't want to forgive you for. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that can't be overcome by Jesus' love, you know. And mm -hmm. I just kept thinking, oh, if he only knew all the things I'd done, you know, he wouldn't mean me, you know. Hmm. <laughs> and Which unfortunately is a common incorrect thought that the devil tries to make us to think. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and it's the, the biggest lie of all. And, yeah. and yeah. Um, I think there's often that line, in, inside of us that says, you know, if you only knew the real me, you wouldn't yeah. think that, you know. And so he was praying at the end, you know, with, with every eye closed and every head bowed, you know, put your raise your hand if you'd like to, you know, ask for forgiveness and um, invite Jesus into your life. And it was like a physical struggle. I, I was determined I wasn't going to put my hand up and it was like a power beyond me was raising my <laughs> hand, you know. <laughs> And um, and so, yeah, he came in and prayed for me and I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah, that was nearly 20 years ago now. 
You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Michelle Matouche, who's the co-founder and operations manager of Eagles Corner, a ministry that supports deaf and hearing people in recovery from addiction and with mental health struggles. We'll hear more of Michelle's story and how God led her to be part of this ministry when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is Michelle Matouche, who's the co-founder and operations manager of Eagles Corner, a ministry that supports deaf and hearing people in recovery from addiction. As we've been hearing, it's surprising that Michelle's journey to being part of this ministry all started because of her love for cooking and being a chef. Now, here's more of her chat with Eric Scadabo. At first, I was like, you know, preparing to sort of do some kind of ministry in the church. I was thinking I could, you know, be a welcomer at the door, and I did that for a while, and I was like, I can work in kids' church or something like that, and and I kept saying, God, I'll, I'll do anything, but just don't put me with teenagers. They're, they're so scary, you know. You had that bad and, experience uh, with the knives in the kitchen, huh? <laughs> well, that's right, but, yeah, he, he – um, he, that's what he ended up doing. That's how oh, he teaches wow. us, you know, putting yeah. in the places that we're we're afraid of the most because yeah. um, that way we rely on him the most. So, yeah, and I was, you know, travelling along okay and, you know, growing and doing my Bible studies and, you know, learning to put God before work and, and all those things and feeling like, you know, I was becoming a good, you know, typical Christian kind of person but um yeah things really changed for me when my dad got sick with cancer so Mm, that that was a a major kind of life turning point um how so how did that change your life well i went over to to be with dad in his last few months and he was in adelaide at the time Mm -hmm. and We'd always been close, but, you know, I'd been travelling and living in different states and so we hadn't seen each other a lot over the last few years. But I would spend every night with him in the hospital talking with him and when he couldn't sleep and um, we just got so close. And and the thing that struck me the most of anything and his real, I guess, legacy for me was that he kept saying nothing in this world matters. It doesn't matter what your job is, if you've got a fancy house, what sort of car you drive, nothing matters at the end of your life, but do you love God and have you loved his people? Mm. And he just kept saying that over again. And, mm-hmm. you know, he'd share his regrets in life. And there were things like, oh, we didn't get the, you know, um, family outreach program started at church in time. I thought I'd have more time to do that. And um, he'd only just retired from work and he had all these plans of what he wanted to do with his retirement. And mm. um, he'd always had a heart for reaching out to um, the unloved and to people that society often rejects. And mm-hmm. it sort of really shook me and made me realise that while I'd, you know, included God in my life, I was still running my own show and still focusing on career and trying to get ahead and and just 
you know, do the right things. But, yeah, from that point on, everything really changed for me. And um, so the day after he passed, I was just really feeling like I wanted to go to church somewhere and I wasn't that familiar with Adelaide and I'd, I'd been to a Pentecostal church there one time uh, with my youngest sister and so I'd gone to this church and there was like a thousand people there and they've all got their hands up and I was totally freaking out um, and I was just praying and they they had a, a guest um, pastor that had gone and set up a campus in Melbourne mm-hmm. and he was visiting and he was saying, oh, the best thing about our new Melbourne location is is not, you know, the great building we've got or anything like that. It's the awesome people and we've got this, you know, one lady and she's doing prison ministry to the women's prison and we've got this man named Michael Carter who's got an outreach to the homeless and he's feeding people under a bridge in the city. And Mm. as soon as he said it, it was like I was stabbed in the heart with a hot knife and I couldn't breathe and I was like... Oh my gosh, that's what I need to do. I can I can use my skills for good instead of evil. <laughs> and so I sort of plucked up the courage and went down to the front after the service and introduced myself. And I was sort of trying to find the contact for this man who was, you know, had feeding people. And and I'm sort of saying, you know, ah, oh, I can, I'm a chef. I can, you know, come and help people cook and uh, help people you know, in the volunteering role there. And mm-hmm. um, when we got to uh, go to Melbourne, I went back to Melbourne from Adelaide after the funeral and everything. And mm-hmm. and so I was driven by this new purpose to to find this man, Michael, and, and offer my skills, you know. And it was quite funny because he'd been told he's very enthusiastic and passionate man and um, he'd been told now she's just lost her dad, give her some time to settle in and, you know, I go to the church to get introduced to him and rock up and say, God sent me to help you cook for the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was our, our first meeting. So, yeah, that's sort of how originally that started and it was quite funny at the start he's like oh we've got this amazing location now and you know we've got this proper kitchen now you know before they used to just make meals and take them in the car and and set up but um he showed me his amazing kitchen that had a microwave and a barbecue (laughs) and a trestle table set up inside instead of outside (laughs) so that was the amazing kitchen that was the amazing kitchen so uh, from that amazing kitchen and with the wonderful support of Second Bite and Food Share and places like that, uh, we were able to eventually feed up to 75 people in our community um, on the streets down there in Melbourne. And mm-hmm. uh, it was really funny. When I when I first went there, uh, they used to have a standard order, like, you know, 10 kilos of fruit, 20 kilos of vegetables, blah, blah, blah. And so Michael was teaching me how to go and collect the Second Bite um, order. And so we'd go over there and... I'm trying to, you know, constrain myself and be polite and, you know, we were so grateful for the support and the food and everything and I walked in and there's this shelf and it's got all these amazing ingredients like truffle oil and, you know, macadamia oils and all these different things and I was like, oh, wow, you know, I I bet the, you know, the bigger organisations get all those cool things and he's like, do you want them? And I'm like, what? Yeah, the workers there, they're like, people don't know what to do with all of this stuff. Like, no one ever wants to take it. So, (laughs) help yourself. And, um, yeah, I guess the blessing of being a chef and knowing how to turn 
nothing into something like um, it became a bit of a joke because I'd, I'd go there and they'd say, oh, Michelle's here, get the trolleys, come and help. And, you know, they'd take me through all of their stocks of, you know, odds and sods and items that other organisations didn't know how to use. And Yeah, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, we, yeah, it was very cool. We, we did seafood banquets and, yeah. Yeah, so because of your expertise, you were able to use food that was there, but nobody yeah. else knew how to do anything with it. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's and, pretty cool. Um, yeah, we, we had all sorts of amazing, like I even got the fellas eating goat eventually and oh. we had goat curries and roast goat and they thought it was delicious lamb. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Oh, well done. Man, this is the best lamb I've ever had. <laughs> oh, you're getting me hungry here. Uh, unfortunately, we're starting to run out of time, but we need to find out how did you go from this ministry, Meals at the Bridge with Michael Carter, and how did you go from there up to where you are now with the, the current ministry you're with. Yeah, so it's the same ministry with a different arm. So as we got to know um, the people that we connected with um, on the streets there in Melbourne and just saw such need and such a void in the recovery space, mm-hmm. um, Michael was always passionate about researching all different programs and trying to find what was working and what wasn't working and He'd heard about uh, Shalom House in Perth, and so I called Peter Lyndon James there, and I was explaining, you know, we were trying to get going and start a program in Australia, and we heard his model was, you know, really kicking goals over there, and he's like, oh, you're green. You don't know what you're doing. You need to come over and train with us or something. And it was one of those moments where you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew, and I was like, okay. I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. I didn't know, you know, I was working at the time. I didn't know how I was going to get time off or fund the trip over there or how to earn a living while I was training over there. But God just opened the path for everything to happen, Mm. Um, even to the detail of the day before I left to go over for the first six weeks. I probably trained over there for three or four months altogether. Um, I didn't have anyone to look after my pet goat. <laughs> and, well, that could be a and I was really stressed because, yeah, goats aren't easy to convince people to look after. And right? um, so poor little Bella, but I ran into an old friend I hadn't seen in ages on the day before I left. And she's like, oh, bring her over to our place. She'll love it. So she had the best staycation ever while I was away training. Um <laughs> So, yeah, when we came back, we were blessed um, with a sequence of events that provided uh, a sponsor provided enough rent for us to rent a house because it was a bit chicken and egg. Do you get the house first before you get the residence? Mm. How do you pay for the rent and how do you hire staff when you don't have an income? And and then God worked amazingly to bring us our first program participant because we were like, okay, We've got the house, we're all set up, we're, you know, ready to go. What now, God, you know? Mm. And um, my colleague and co-founder, Michael Carter, he uh, got woken up early one morning and felt prompted by God to go down to southern Melbourne in Carnegie. And he'd been to a church that had had a meals outreach to the homeless down there. And he thought, oh, maybe I'll go and let them know that we're starting a program. And 
starts sharing with the pastor there at the church about how he started this new program and the pastor just starts crying his eyes out and Mm. he says we've got a man here we've been desperate to try and find him a recovery program to go into he's been turned away from three or four already because he's deaf Mm. and so Michael calls me and he goes "I I think we found our first resident and he says, there's only one big problem. And I'm thinking, okay, we know they're going to have mental health issues. We know they're going to be struggling with addiction. We know their lives are going to be upside down. They'll have debt. You know, what else big thing could it be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he's deaf. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the big thing, you know? Huh. And he goes, well, he's deaf. And I said, well, where is he now? And he goes, oh, he's volunteering in the kitchen here at the church. And I said, well, how's he communicating with everyone? Are they all signing or what? what's the story? And he goes, no, I don't think they're signing. No one's signing. And I'm like, well, he's figured out a way to communicate in the hearing world. So if he wants to come, we'll work it out. And so based on, yeah, our first God-led participant being deaf, it's kind of changed the whole focus of our program. And we're now specialising in deaf outreach and and Simon, our, our first resident, four years on, has now successfully turned his life around um, through God's power and uh, he now wants to give back and, and reach out to others in the deaf community. So Fantastic. that's now Eagle's Corner's focus now is um, that's why we're partnering as well with Impact so they can mm-hmm. help focus on the recovery side of things and Eagle's Corner can now be freed up to, yeah, outreach to the deaf community. So Wow. Isn't that not amazing how the Lord worked to bring you in this direction? Yeah. Every time. And never a direction you'd ever imagine. Yeah. Like I'm doing my diploma in Auslan this year. I communicate in sign language every day. Yeah. I, you know, I was a chef for 25 years and I never would have imagined this. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And they sort of sucked me in because they said like, oh, you can just come and teach the guys a few cooking skills. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that, never imagining I would be the operations manager and running the recovery program. Oh, wow. (laughs) I mean, what a beautiful story you have of step by step by step, first through food, then through a desire to be in ministry and, you know, all, all these different ways. But you said yes at every one of those steps. And now you are where you yeah. are now. Yeah. And I still use food today to connect. Like Thank if you sit down <laughs> with people at a table yeah. and you've got all this food spread before them, it opens conversations, oh, it yeah. provides nourishment, and, yeah, it warms people up and lets them know they're loved. Well, I'm wishing you had this organization a little closer to the east side of Melbourne because it's getting me very hungry. Well, my wife and I might have to take a trip up to Bendigo sometime. (laughs) That sounds great. We'd love to have you. Thank you so much, Michelle Matush, for sharing your remarkable story with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Eric. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Michelle Matush, who's the co-founder and operations manager of Eagles Corner, a ministry that supports deaf and hearing people in recovery from addiction and with mental health struggles. It was great to hear how God led her one step at a time to be part of helping people through this much-needed ministry. Some verses that come to mind when reflecting on Michelle's life are found in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. The Lord directs the steps of 
the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Well, if you would like to learn more about the ministry that Michelle is the co-founder of, you can go to their website. It's eaglescorner.org. Once again, that's eaglescorner.org. And next time, we'll hear the other half of the story. Michael Carter is the other co-founder of Eagles Corner, and he has quite a different journey that involves God cultivating in him a heart for homeless people. We'll hear how both of their stories fit together next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I turned up there at lunchtime and there was a new pastor there, so I didn't know him. And he said, what do you do? So I told him, well, we have just set up in the country and we're looking for our first resident. His mouth just dropped open. He said, really? He said, we've been trying to get a guy into a rehabilitation program for three months and he's been knocked back twice. And so this was Simon. And so I met him and found out quickly enough that he was deaf. Last time we spoke with Michelle Matush, who shared how she became the co-founder and operations manager of a ministry for deaf people called Eagles Corner. Next time we'll hear from the co-founder and CEO of Eagles Corner, Michael Carter, who has a completely different journey that involves a miraculous healing and a heart for homeless people. That's all coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.